Hey everyone, Pastor Alex here. I just want to take a moment and welcome you to the Sunswept Baptist Church podcast. Our vision at Sunswept Baptist Church is to be a church where everybody is somebody and Christ is all. If you're interested in visiting our church or getting more information, visit sunswepbaptist.org. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Apologize, there's no worship guides for you this morning. Um, if you ever used technology before, you know that sometimes, hold on, let me fix my mic here. Sometimes it just decides not to work, does it? And so our printer this week decided that it needed a system update, which meant that it was going to freeze indefinitely. And so we are getting it worked on this week, and hopefully we'll have worship guides again next week. But we'll be in 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Um, if you need a thing to take notes on, you can grab the Connect card on the back of your pew or you know, a sheet of paper laying around or something and take notes on there. But we're in kind of towards the back end of the study now through the book of 1 John that we called Life. And the question we're answering is what does it mean for us to live true life in Christ? What does it look like for us as believers to experience and know true life that is really only found in Christ? Because we know as people... Um, the things of this world do not provide for us the life that they say they will. They don't provide for us the fulfillment or the joy or the peace that they say they will. And that really the cure for our brokenness is found nowhere else in no one else other than Jesus himself. So let's do a little activity to start out this morning. Let's say, in theory, I told you to meet me at a restaurant you've never been to before. And, you know, we're going to go to this restaurant. Here's the address. By show of hands, how many of you would put it into your GPS on your phone? Okay, that's what I would do immediately, especially if I didn't know where it was, which I'm kind of directionally challenged at times. And so I, would, I use my GPS all of the time. Now think about it. If you're old enough to remember this, we've not had GPSs forever, have we? Um, my grandparents, God bless them, they still carry around an atlas in the back of their car <laughs> everywhere they go. Um, just in case the GPS goes down. And you know, if something like that ever happened, they are very prepared, which is good. Um, but we know that having a GPS is a relatively new thing. And before we all had GPSs on our cell phone, or maybe you have one of those like, you know, Magellan's or TomTom's or something there on your dash. Before we had all of that, people used maps. Y'all, have y'all ever looked at a map before? We have maps atlases, used a compass sometimes, right? Compasses were a thing that now I literally have a compass on my cell phone. <laughs> if I ever needed a compass, I would just pull it out there. But we, we, before, before GPSs, we all used maps, atlases, compass, those, those things like that. Um, we haven't always had Siri to tell us which direction to turn. Like now, if I ever turn out of the parking lot here, maybe to go visit somebody or something, and it says turn southeast, I don't know which direction is southeast. I would need a compass to know which direction that I am going. You might be like, where is he going with this story on compasses? The point is, we need a compass, a directional guide, a place to show us what to do and where to go when it comes to loving other people. When it comes to loving other people, we need a compass, an example, a direction to set us on to know how do we love others. Because the reality for us, and all of us have experienced this, it's not unique to any one person, but we get so distracted by the busyness of life, the fractures of society, maybe even our own prejudices, that it becomes impossible for us to love other people, love our church members the way God intended us to. So when the opportunity arises for us to show love to someone, show the love of Christ to someone, honestly, it doesn't come natural to us. Just like how I don't naturally know which direction is southeast or, or northwest or something, we need a compass to tell us which direction to go. 
And that's what we're going to see here in 1 John chapter 4 this morning is that um, God gives us an example, a compass to follow. And that, that example is his own love towards us. So the main idea this morning is this, that true life leads to real love. True life leads to a real love. Specifically, what we're going to talk about is a real love towards others. So the idea is if we have abided in Christ and remained in Christ, the byproduct of that relationship, of experiencing that true life, is going to be a love towards others. So we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And before we go any farther, let's stop and pray together. Father, you've loved us with an incredible loyal, faithful love that we can't even fathom or measure, that was so sacrificial. Father, I just pray that we as your people um, who have experienced that love, who have experienced that new life, would turn around and love others in the same way, that we would care for others in the same way that you care for us. Your love would be a model to us on how to love our fellow brothers and sisters and how to love world around us. Father, today, no doubt, we're going to be looking in the mirror of your love, and we're going to see areas where we have fallen short. God, I pray we would not just be hearers of your words today, Father, but that we would be doers, that when we see a place where we have not loved correctly, that we would force correct back in line with how you have commanded us to live. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So 1 John chapter 4, let's start in verse 7 and read the first three verses together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. Why, you might ask? So that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. The first thing we're going to see this morning in this passage is that real love is found in God. Real love is found in God alone. We must know God to know real love. Look at what it says here in verse 7. Let us love one another for love is from God. Love originates, true love, not the world's love, true, real love originates in God. Many people act like, and you might be one of these people, and we all are at times, who think that we have life figured out. We've got life by the tail. We know exactly what to do in every situation. We've got a chip on our shoulder. We know what's up. We know what to do. But the problem with that idea is that if we apply this thinking to loving one another, we're never going to be able to love the way God intended because inherently all of us are broken, sinful people. And so the love that we bring out towards others that originates with ourself and our own approach to love is going to yield a broken love. Which means for us to love as God commands us to love. Because all through this passage we're going to see a bunch of times, love one another, love your brothers and sisters, love other people. But to do that we must first know the one who restores us and shows us his love. So to know real love, this is so important. If you miss this, you will not understand the rest of the sermon. To know real love requires a submission and humility before God to allow him to set the tone for what real love is. To allow him to determine in our lives what does real love look like. And he has shown us that. So we have to ask the question then, how does he love? 
If God is the compass, right, or the guide who set the standard, set the direction for how we're supposed to love others, what has he done? We see this in a couple ways here in the first few verses. The first is that love is a person, and that person is Jesus. God loved us through sending his son, Jesus, to the earth. Look at John 3.16. Let's just flip there really quick so you can see it in your Bibles. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, loved, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How has God loved the world? He sent his son to us. Jesus, the Son of God, is the redemptive plan to save us from our sins. Jesus was an intentional decision by God to come after you, a sinner. To come after me, a sinner, despite our sin, despite all of the rebellion, all of the brokenness that this world has, Jesus was an intentional decision by God to bring redemption and reconciliation to us. I love this word here. Let's see, where is it? Verse 8, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. I love that word, manifest, because what it's saying is that God's love was realized, brought forth, on display, so clear that none of us can miss it. God's love was put on full display in the person of Jesus Christ when he sent his son to die in your place, to bear the punishment of your sin. That is love, so clearly seen. The love is a person, but also love is an action. God did something. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love, God's love towards us was not just a feel-good statement that made, gave you the butterflies and made your heart feel good. It wasn't just an emotion that he feels. That's what our world believes, that love is, is an emotion that ebbs and flows and comes and goes. But what do we see God's love do here? Love was a choice by God that led to action by God. And that models for us that love, although it at times might have an emotive quality, love at its core is not an emotion. Love at its core is a choice we make towards other people. So love is a choice, and the choice that God made was to save us from our sins. That's what the word propitiation means there. It's a payment for our sins. God's wrath was satisfied on our behalf by Jesus Christ. Love was realized, manifested on the cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus bore our sin on his shoulders. I think many of us think of God's love through a Western lens. And what, what I mean by that is we think um, God's love is seen for us in things like that we have our health or that we have a nice car or a nice house or a good job. And, and it's not wrong to thank God for these things, right? John, or James 1.17 is clear that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So every good thing we experience is a gift from God. But his love is not maximally seen in the things of this world. The things that we enjoy in this world are good gifts from him, but the love of God is maximally seen in Jesus. The love of God is put on the maximum amount of display through Jesus Christ. And what that means for us in our lives is that even if your life from this moment to the day you die was horrible, you were uh, afflicted with sickness and loss and poverty and struggle for the rest of your life, you would have still have experienced an incredible, immeasurable, infinite amount of love in Jesus. I think a lot of us, we, we, because we equate 
the love of God to having an easy life or things going smoothly for us. That's why we question God when things go badly. But think about Paul's life. Let's just think about the Apostle Paul. He obviously believed in the love of God, right? Or we could take John. He believed in the love of God. Goodness, he's writing about it here. Both of these guys, though, were brutally persecuted for their faith. John, for example, they tried to boil him. Didn't work, so they marooned him on Patmos, where he wrote Revelation, right? I would say that's not a very easy life. If we took signups for that, it probably wouldn't go very well. He had experienced the love of God just as much as you and I have. Even if our life is easy and someone else's life is hard, the love of God is maximally seen not in the things of this world, but in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Why do I read this to you? Because God loves you. God loves you. Do you recognize the amount of love that God has for us? Have you ever sat and pondered that for a second? The, the illustration Paul uses here in Romans 5, I think, really puts it into perspective. Um, if there was a person who is just like, I mean, the greatest person ever to walk this earth, the greatest, most righteous, most kind person uh, other than Jesus, most kind person ever, you and I might be willing to give our life up for that person, right? Maybe, in the right circumstances. But for a rebellious, good-for-nothing, just done evil their whole lives, none of us would rarely probably give our life up for that person. Yet God's love is maximally seen here in that that's what Jesus did for us, for you, for me. Some Christians project Christianity to be that you clean yourself up before you come to Christ. That's not in Scripture, guys. Because Jesus went to the cross while you were in your sin. That, that word there, and look at Romans 5, 8 again. But God shows his love for us in that, wow, we were still sinners. That is love, isn't it? That is love. That while you and I were actively rebelling against our Father, actively sinning, actively going the opposite way from him, actively pursuing brokenness, actively lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, murdering, while we were doing all that, in this perfect world God had created, while we were messing it up, Jesus went to the cross on your behalf. I've just got to ask you, has anyone ever loved you like that other than Jesus? I've had some amazing friends, have some amazing friends who love so well. Um, and a lot of that is based on the love of Jesus. But if you look at how Jesus loved you, has anyone else loved you like that? You really think about it. Has, has your job provided that for you? Has your friendships provided that for you? Your relationships provided that for you? Uh, running after the pleasures of this world, has it provided that for you? 
this kind of love, that someone would do that for you? I know the answer is no, it hasn't. That the more we look to the broken things of this world to provide us the grace and mercy and restoration that only Jesus provides, they'll never love you like Jesus loved you. So the question that you have to ask is, why would you not submit to him? Why would we not submit to someone who loved us like this? This is a key part of this message here for us to understand. Um, You might have thought when I was talking about we need to love one another, we would dive straight into ways that we love one another. But the issue with that kind of mindset is that we are at the center of it, that we know what to do. But the first step the gospel takes is we look at what Jesus has done and how God has loved us. He went to the cross for you while you were still sinning. That's the kind of God that I want to serve, right? Who restores me makes me a new person from the dead sinner I was before brought to life in Christ. And I'll just say, if you don't know him, and I don't mean know about him, like we know about lots of people, you know, we know about celebrities or about the president or something like that, but I don't know them personally. Jesus came so that you could know him, not just know about him. James, the book of James says that even the demons know about God. Even the demons believe and they shudder. But we have the opportunity to know Jesus on a personal level. A Jesus who loved you and died for you. A Jesus who saw you in your broken, dead state and still said, I'm going to go after that person. That is a unique, very real love. So I guess the application here in this first point is recognize the love that God has for you. Recognize the love God has for you. When you recognize that real love, when we experience that real love, it will then lead to loving others with the same love that God has loved us. So let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 4. Go back there. 1 John 4, starting in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and in his love is, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. So the second point this morning is that real love is empowered by the gospel. Real love is empowered by the gospel. Let's just be really transparent this morning. It's hard to love people sometimes, isn't it? It's hard to love people sometimes. It's okay to say that. It's the truth. We're all sinners. Newsflash, you're hard to love sometimes too, right? We're all sinners. None of us are necessarily easy to love all of the time. So we have to recognize that it is difficult. It is hard. And so the problem comes when we think that we can go do this on our own, that we can love as God has loved us in our own power. And what we see here in 1 John 4, 11 through 16, or 17, is that our love for others is not empowered by you. It's not empowered by what you bring to the table. It's empowered by the gospel. So first we have to see um, it's important that we do love one another. It's crucial that we love one another because that love shows other people the gospel. Look here at verse 11 through 12 again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the basis of our love, remember, I'm going to say this 150 more times this morning. The basis of our love is God's love. No one has ever seen God. 
if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, people, although they can't necessarily see God like you and I are seeing each other right now, when they see how we love one another based on God's love, they see God's love on display. They see the effect of it on our lives. The gospel should be on display with how we love one another in the church. This is why our second core value here at our church is that we would be a gospel community because we're not just a social club of people hanging out. If that's all we are, we could stop doing a lot of things that we do. We're actually a gospel community. What unifies us and brings us together is not any kind of worldly affinity or anything like that. It's the gospel. That is what unifies us and drives our love towards one another meaning the gospel then should be on clear display in how we interact with each other. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, so he's saying, if you've experienced Christ... Then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's a beautiful picture here, isn't it? A beautiful picture of a gospel community. And what are, what are some elements we see here in this gospel community? They're sacrificial. Paul's calling them to sacrificial love, to humility, to unity, to not selfishly going after their own way and trying to build up their own name, but humbly serving one another. And then look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then in 6 through 11, we see this wonderful poem of what Christ did on this earth for us, which we're talking about still this morning. Just look at Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Does this describe our church? What do you think? In your, in your own mind, just by your own kind of basis here, this is the standard, this as the mirror, does this describe our church? Are we a church that is displaying the mind of Christ, the love of Christ, the gospel to each other and to the world that is around us? Because God's love should be on complete display when we gather together as a church because of how we love one another because we are living out the restored life that he has given us is this our church now just being honest with you i think in a lot of ways yes it is we're, we're a loving church in a lot of ways but in other ways we're not still because we're sinners we always have room for improvement so let us never grow um, lax in doing good works towards one another and loving one another and praying for one another and serving one another because that's what god has called us to do here so are we a church that is modeling the gospel? Are we a church that is modeling the mind of Christ to the world that is around us? But it's still hard to love, isn't it? We still haven't really answered that question. It's so hard. How do we do it? How can we possibly love others the way God loved us? Because people are hard to love sometimes, just like we are. Well, I kind of think of it like you're pouring out a jug of water. So I want you to imagine for a second, I have a jug of water up here and I'm pouring into a cup, right? And the water coming out of that jug is the love that I have pouring into another person. And we do this all of the time. We pour love into our children, into our spouses, into our friends, our coworkers, all of these things. And God has called us to love all of these people. What do you do when you run out of water? Have you ever felt that way before? You've got nothing left to give. 
you're totally tapped out? Have you ever felt that way? Is it just me? <laughs> felt like you've got nothing left to give, nothing left to love. Your tank is on empty. If you go another mile, you're going to explode. Have you ever felt that way before? Natural. It's human nature. That's our, the limitation of our ability, right? Your jug has a limited amount of capacity. You can't love continually. Then how does God command us to? How is it possible for us to live out this obedience to this command to love one another when we're limited in our ability to love? Well, he gives us two specific ways here that we cultivate that love, that we fill up our well or our jug of water to continually be able to love as he has called us to. Because remember, our love is not empowered by us, it's empowered by the gospel. The first way is this, he's given us the Holy Spirit. Flip over back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. What we believe as um, New Testament believers is that every single one of us, if you've placed faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Which means God himself is dwelling in you, comforting you, convicting you, encouraging you. Which means then the love that we show to others doesn't originate with you. It originates with the Holy Spirit in you, overflowing out of you. So that one should be an encouragement just right out of the gate. That your love does not come from a well within you, but it comes from the infinite well of love that God has placed in you through the Holy Spirit. Now, practically, what that means is when it feels like you're getting to empty, your gaslight is on, and you're like, I, there's no way I can keep loving this person. The right response is not to give up, but to instead take heart that that love does not originate from you, but from the Holy Spirit. So pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you love this person. That's not a bad prayer to pray, because some people can be challenging to love. Sin makes it hard to love people. Sin made us hard to love. But God chose to love us anyways. And in the same way, when it's hard to love someone or you've had just a bad day and now you're, you're getting the opportunity to love somebody, ask the Holy, Holy Spirit to help you love as God has called you to. So that's the first way we're empowered to love is through the Holy Spirit. The second is by abiding in God. And this is a thing that is all throughout 1 John, abiding slash remaining in Christ. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we abide in God? Well, if you came to the women's conference this weekend, I could just stop here and have you all come up and tell everybody. Because um, that's what it was all about, abiding in Christ. How do we do that? Well, um, the first way is you have to know Christ, right? This is like a prerequisite to the other list. You have to know Jesus if you're going to abide in him. Remember, if you don't know the real love of God first, you'll never get to being able to love others as God has designed you to love. So know Jesus. That's the first step. That's a, the prerequisite. So maybe step zero is know Jesus. Know, know who he is. Know his love. So then the first step for the believer is be in his word. Abiding in Christ means you're going to be in his word. You will never be able to love as God calls you to unless you're empowered by the scripture to do so. You'll never be able to do it. You'll never be the loving church member, husband, father, mom, wife, grandma, grandpa, cousin, uncle. You'll never live out those roles as God designed unless you're in his word. Because you can't do it. <laughs> you don't know how. You need a standard. You need a compass. I need that. So we must be in his word. Secondly, be in prayer. This kind of goes back to what I said earlier. Pray that God would help you love as he has called you to. Don't rely on your own strength, but pray and rely on the strength of God. Now, that doesn't mean it's immediately going to be easy to love, right? But we've prepped our hearts in submission to God, in prayer to him to love as he's called us to. 
So be in his word, be in prayer, and then thirdly, be with his people. These are just the spiritual disciplines condensed down. To abide in Christ means we're going to be in his word, be in prayer, and then be with his people. A sheep that goes off on its own and doesn't engage in the body of Christ will succumb to the ways of this world very quickly. To succumb to the temptations of this world. We talked about it last week. There's a very real threat of lions and wolves and tigers and bears and all the stuff all around us. The things of this world, our culture trying to pull us down. And if we go out by ourselves, if a sheep goes off by itself, it becomes an easy target for the ways of this world. And a sheep that is off by itself and not being encouraged and loved and reminded the gospel on a weekly basis with their body of Christ is not going to be able to love as God has called us to love. Because very quickly, when you go off by yourself, it becomes about me and me alone, right? Instead of about us and what God has called us to. So if you want to abide in Christ, you need to be in his word, be in prayer, and be with his people. And if you do those things, it will empower you to love as God has called you to love. So be empowered by the gospel to love others. Just honestly, look at your life right now. Are you having a hard time loving others? Do you find yourself being cold and calloused towards people, not showing the warm love that God has shown us? If that is you, the step is not to try harder to love, but to examine the well that you have for yourself. The jug of water that you're pouring out, is it empty? And if it is, which I would be willing to bet for some of you, it does feel like it's empty. The solution is not to give up and say, well, this is just impossible. I'm just going to become a cynical person. The solution is is to dive deeper into who God is, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, be empowered by abiding in Christ, being in his word, being in prayer, and being with his people. And if you do that, your well will fill up so that you can love others. Well, let's look at 7 through 21 and finish out here, or 17 through 21. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he so also... So as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There it is again in this passage. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The third thing we see this morning is that the real love we experience from real life in Christ is a byproduct of salvation. Real love is a byproduct, a consequence, a thing that happens when we are saved, when we know Christ. If we are loving God as God has shown us, as God has loved us, then we're going to go love other people. If we love others... It doesn't start from here. It starts with God. When we're loving others, we're living out the salvation he has put in us, what he has done in our life by raising us from death to life. Jesus gives a very similar illustration here about forgiveness in Matthew 18, a parable. It's one of my favorites. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Are you familiar with this one? What happens is this servant in this king's palace owes a massive debt to the king, a debt that he could never pay off. I mean, you know, like Jeff Bezos amount of money, okay? So much money, he'll never be able to pay it off. So he goes to the king and he says, king, there's no way I can pay it back. Can you please forgive my debt? And the king does what? Forgives it, right? Forgives the debt and the man goes on his way. Well, on his way out of the castle, I'm gonna say it's a castle, the palace, whatever, he runs into his coworker who owes him like, you know, lunch from the previous day. Small, small amount of money, especially compared to what he was just forgiven. 
And instead of forgiving this man's debt, what does he do? He has the man thrown in jail for not paying him back. This man who just experienced such forgiveness doesn't turn around and show it to the person who owes him way less than he owed the king. What does Jesus say about that man? He didn't get it. Sinful. He had just experienced all of this forgiveness, and now he's not going to go show forgiveness to other people. Well, while that parable is about forgiveness, it applies the same way here to love. God has shown us such immense and real, unmeasurable, infinite love. How prideful and cynical and self-centered is it for us not to show love to other people? Even when it's hard for them to love. Do you realize how much of a sinner you are? (laughs) How much of a sinner I am? The mass amount that I owe to God? The debt that I was in, in debt for? One I could never pay off that he forgave, yet I won't show love to other people? This is why John can say here at the end of the passage, look here. Verse 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The reality is if we're, we are a church that has truly experienced the love of God when we didn't deserve it, then we are called to be a church that shows the love of Christ even when other people don't deserve it. Even when your fellow church members don't deserve it because they're going to sin against you just like you will sin against them. We're still called to show the love of Christ there. So the command is clear. If you know Christ, love as he loved. We cannot experience an eternity-changing destination, complete track change in Christ and not go show love to other people. My destination prior to Christ was hell. I'm a sinner by nature, born into iniquity, as David says in Psalm 51. That was my road, right? But then Jesus changed that for me. And since he's done that for me, how can I not love other people? If he's done that for you, how can you not love other people? This is why we can say that real love is a byproduct of salvation in God. Which means this, if you do not show love to your brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not know God. You do not know the love of God. You might say, ooh, that's a little harsh what John says. If you don't show love, you don't know God. If you don't show love as he showed love, you've never experienced real love. It goes all the way back to what we talked about at the very first point. Real love comes from God, and those of us who have experienced that real love will show real love to other people. Not perfectly, right? But the trajectory of our life will be one of real love towards others. So how do we do that? Let's get really practical here for a second. Some next steps. How do we love one another? Well, the first thing is you have to know the love of God. Do you really know him? If you don't know him, you can't love him as he commanded. So if you don't have a relationship with him, that's the first step. That's step zero. Like I said, you have to start there. And so if that's you and you don't know Christ, you have to understand that because of your sin, there is a wall of hostility between you and God because God is holy and we are not his people. We are impure, broken people. But what Jesus did is he provided a way. He said in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He provided a way by his death through his resurrection that we can be saved and reconciled to God. That wall of hostility can be broken down and we 
can experience the restoration of the gospel. And so if you don't know him and that's never happened in your life, that needs to happen today. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that phrase there, I talk about this every week, but it's because we need to hear it every single week. Confessing his Lord is not just a verbal, yes, you are Lord. And John even affirms this here. Look here. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. If you just affirm with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but then don't go live it out, you're the liar here. That's what John says. So confessing him as Lord means turning away from the sinful, hateful things in your life and instead turning around and walking with Christ. It's repenting of your sins and placing faith in Jesus. So if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. You'll know Jesus. You'll experience his real love and then be able to go love others. So know the love of God. Secondly, be empowered by the gospel. Your well is so incredibly limited. Your ability to love, my ability to love is so incredibly small. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Be empowered by the gospel, the means of grace God has given us to empower to live out the obedient thing or the, to live out in obedience as he has called us to. You have no hope other than that. So be empowered by the gospel. Now notice, the first two next steps here have nothing to do with loving other people. I want you to recognize that. Knowing God and being empowered by the gospel. Where is loving other people in that? And the reason that is is because you cannot love other people until those first two things happen. Until you know the love of God and are empowered by the gospel, you will never be able to love as he loved us. But we always jump so quickly to the third thing here, which is to love others. Just go do it, right? That's how we think in our American Western mindset is just fix it. Just do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. That's why we have the gospel. Unless you know Jesus and are empowered by him, you can't live out the life he's called you to. You can't do it. So if your takeaway from this sermon is just go love better, you miss the point of the sermon. You have to experience real love first and be empowered by that. I would be willing to bet if we're not careful today, the majority of us will leave thinking the application is love people better. And that is part of it, okay? If you don't get that at all, we, we did mess up. But that's not the main thing. For us, as Christians, the main thing is know that God has loved you and experienced that love. All throughout here, it's, John does not say, love like God, because that's what he told you to do. He says, love like God because he loved you first. Because he's shown you how to love. So I just want to encourage you, before we even get to how to love others better, if you miss these first two steps, you're not going to get the third. You have to know Jesus. You have to be empowered by the gospel. And that happens through the Holy Spirit and through abiding in Christ. So if you're not in the word, that's your application for this week. If you're not praying, that's your application. If you're not engaging in this body of believers, that's your application. When you do those things, then you'll be able to love as God loves. Which leads us to the third thing. Love others by doing these things. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write these down. Praying for them. Good place to start. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray this week for the people on the pew that you're sitting with. Pray this week for your neighbors around your house, which means if you don't know your neighbors, go talk to them and ask them how you can pray for them. If you don't know them, just go say hi. Be praying for people. Pray for people. Secondly, speak kindly to them. Words are so powerful. James talks about this too. I've talked about James a lot. Maybe we'll go through James tonight. I don't know. James says the tongue can start a wildfire. 
It's super powerful. Do your words display the love of Jesus? How you talk to your spouse, how you talk to your church members, how you talk to your friends, your coworkers, are your words lifting up, building up, or are they tearing down? Are your words more in line with the gospel or more in line with the world? So pray, speak kindly, then sacrificially do things for people. Love is not just an emotion. In fact, I would argue it's mostly not an emotion. Love is not, you know, simply saying, oh, buddy, I love you. Yep. No. Love is rooted in action. God didn't just say he loves us. He did something about it. What are you going to do this week to show love to others? What are you going to do? You'll see, we kind of followed a pattern here. You pray with your head and heart, get your heart right, pray for people that God would help you to love them. You speak kindly to them, coming out of your mouth, words, right? And then it goes down to your hands. What are you going to do to love people sacrificially this week? If our church has experienced the love of God, this should be an epicenter for love in our community. All too often, churches are not, just honestly. I've been doing a um, demographic study for our community. One of the number one things I saw on something called a, uh, a mosaic study, which is like a religious uh, demographic study, is that a large percentage, I mean 90 plus percent, of the people in a three-mile radius of our church um, think that churches don't act like Jesus acted. Which means that um, historically, just in general, churches get so consumed with self and less consumed with God's love. Now, I'm not saying that is you. I'm not saying that's me. I'm not saying that's our church. But like I said, we should never grow lazy living out God's love. Because there's a lost world that thinks they know love and they don't. We've experienced the real love of God, which will lead us to love others in a real way. Let me pray for us.